Cinderella, funny fella, running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head, and nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the Fringeworthy Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week and every week as we explore the strange worlds of Fringeworthy, the only interdimensional role-playing game where you go to alternate Earths, other times, places, ancient gods, pirates, and dinosaurs. (laughs) I mention all that because... We are talking about Fringeworthy in other people's campaigns. In other words, other campaigns that are out there, other game systems. Uh, we've talked an awful lot many times about playing various genres inside of Fringeworthy, where you could still play a sword and sorcery, you could play a science fiction, you could play horror, and these are all on different worlds that are all connected by the Fringe Pass. Do you want to spice up your game, you can add Fringeworthy to it. And we really didn't give you much details on that. What we thought we would do this time is we'd talk about what Fringeworthy brings to your campaign, uh, what it can do for you, and then talk specifically about how we think it might fit into some of the more popular uh, published campaigns. Not systems per se, but campaigns like Call of Cthulhu or Rifts. We're not talking about the game system. That's something you're going to have to handle, but the actual campaign itself and the tone. I looked at the Call of Cthulhu game a lot of the things I was suggesting for things that they could bring to the table were specifically, I was looking at Call of Cthulhu, where you usually have an under-equipped group of investigators with very limited knowledge who are going out and trying to stop unimaginable evils from taking over the world. The Fringeworthy could definitely provide a lot of support, though a lot of cases the Fringeworthy also could be the people causing the situations because they're sticking their noses in places where man was not meant to know. Because a lot of the locations the Fringeworthy portals are, are places that are remote and where your adventure would probably be taking place. Some strange unknown island, some mountain peak, some Antarctic cave. You know, all these are places where fringeworthy portals are, I don't want to use the word commonly found, but uh, as far as our game is concerned, this is where they they tend to to be located and out of way places where they're not usually found. Oh, come on. Who would put a a fringeworthy portal in an Antarctic cave? Wait a minute. Never mind. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, One of the things I didn't mention before is in the area of healing. The Fringeworthy can provide field surgery. Uh, They can provide reconstructive strategies for people who lose limbs or become incapacitated one way or another. So they can provide handicap assistance using technologies and, and materials that may not be common to your world. So that your characters, if you're in a world in which people can become lame, blind, lose function in parts of their bodies, even if they go crazy, 
We have this stuff called lithium that's supposed to be really good for people who we go schizophrenic. They could provide that to keep your characters in the game after they've suffered what would normally be a game ender for your character. But I was uh, looking at the uh, Call of Cthulhu story, especially the part about the risen city of Ryoth. Imagine that there is a fringe-worthy portal on the city of Ryoth. It was, for most of the last couple millennia, it's been sunken under the ocean. So there's a warp somewhere, right? It's over on a, on a mainland someplace. It's over one of three locations it would probably be. One would be South America. One of the other locations would be New Zealand. And, of course, the third location would be Antarctica itself. Because, uh, according to our rules, whenever a portal becomes submerged or in any way compromised, the portal itself, the ring station, will inactivate. And they will produce a, a warp somewhere else. The stars are right. The island rises, as it did in the story. The Frenchworthy, who think they're exploring someplace in Antarctic or the other two locations, suddenly find themselves on this strange island. Got all kinds of slimy things and various stuff. At the same time, your uh, adventuring team is on a boat steaming for that island. Well, of course, the Fringeworthy people are going to be poking their heads around. They might even release the big Cthulhu. <laughs> Because that's what in the story the sailors did through ignorance. The Fringeway team could be doing that. So you arrive there. The Fringeway team is is now frantically trying to uh, defend itself against this giant monstrosity from behind, beyond time and space. And your team comes in to rescue them. Or maybe together they can fight off Cthulhu long enough for the stars not to be right, the island to sink again, and Cthulhu to fall back asleep deep under the ocean. This is just one possibility using the base Call of Cthulhu story. And this could be done with other Lovecraftian locations. Wiser, better informed investigators assist IDET teams who have stumbled upon matters far beyond their imagining. That would be easy to implement in so many places in the Cthulhu universe. Honestly, you could, depending on what year you're making your Cthulhu, and, and I guess it wouldn't really matter, you could make changes. But you could incorporate Bureau 13 into that. You could be playing uh, Call of Cthulhu just the way you normally do. And they run into this organization, Bureau 13. And then they touch base with the whole Fringeworthy universe on top of that. So you could bring in both games in one step. I can fully see Bureau 13 being in a Call of Cthulhu game. It wouldn't have to be in there initially. This, you know, because they're a secret organization, and your characters may never have interacted with them in any way, and then all of a sudden they do. But I mean, you can even take that out. You don't even have to have like an an instance where it's crazy, like you know, having Cthulhu appear in in the world. Maybe the investigators are investigating some weird happening with these people, and it turns out that they're IDET people. You know, these people show up and they've got weird clothing and stuff, and, and you know, maybe there's some kind of investigator, you know, for Miskatonic, and it's you know, 1935, depending on what era you're playing in, and these people show up. And there's word that, that these odd people have shown up and they're wearing these weird clothes and they're saying these weird things. And maybe you're sent to investigate them. And they think that they're kind of weird cult or, or some kind of alien group, which the IDET are an alien group. When they discover them, it, it's treated like a normal adventure, except it turns out that they're not bad guys. For the first time that they encounter some kind of alien or weird group, and it turns out that they're not bad guys, they would be kind of equipped to handle dealing with learning this information 
because they're already, you know, used to encountering all kinds of weird stuff. So when these people say, hey, yeah, we're from another world and we travel interdimensional portals and blah, 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 blah. The Call of Cthulhu players, instead of being like, oh, you guys are full of they're going to be like, oh, that's really cool. Because they're, they're already equipped to deal with finding crazy, strange stuff. Something about the Call of Cthulhu mythos, though, I think the base default setting is in like the 1920s, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Okay, I don't think that they had, well, they had automatic weapons. I think they had the Thompson submachine gun, but let's face it, the automatic weapons of 100 years after that are far better Okay, yeah, we have the knowledge and the background knowing about these things that man were not supposed to meant to you know to know, but you guys have these guns that put ours to shame that are weaponry to help these investigators do their job a little better and bringing the fringe where the end of the game could be just the GM deciding, okay, I want to start upping the campaign level of danger. Yes, yeah, absolutely. If you're playing Call of Cthulhu and you're playing in the 20s, at some point, I mean, I, I don't know, unless your your group is really hardcore about loving the 20s, at some point, your group is going to get kind of bored with the whole chasing down the cult people and stopping the monsters from invading and trying not to be succumbed by insanity yet again. And hey, it's still the 1920s. At some point, I know if I was playing a character and he had survived a bunch of stuff and I was really being endeared to this character, I could see me getting tired after a year of, of a campaign saying, hey, you know, Game Master, we're all getting kind of tired of just playing. Let's play another game. Let's, let's move on to another campaign. A good Game Master can see this coming and could introduce the Fringeworthy, and then you could take this character and just move on to a whole new thing. And I'm just saying that now because I just foresee the whole 1920s and 30s as becoming boring after a while. You know, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, our group played for almost a year in a campaign that took place in the 30s, you know, on the cusp of World War II, and we were having a great time, and then we just finally introduced Fringeworthy, and it revived the campaign. So we moved on to traveling the French paths. It has greatly reinvigorated the campaign. Well, that sounds great. And you could also take your campaign and keep it on the same game world and actually convert it to something else. Let's say you wanted to go into something more towards superheroes. The high technology that Fringeworthy provide, you've got people who've got now suits that are impenetrable by bullets. You've got people with jetpacks. Now they can fly. All these Silver Age superheroes, a lot of them didn't have better than this. Right. Okay. Yeah, okay. I get that. So it's still the 1930s, and the Fringeworthy have brought these new technologies to them. The enemy is running around with Tommy guns, and you show up with a P90, and you're just tearing the crap out of them. Yeah. The Green Hornet's car, as originally envisioned in some of those early serials, are certainly less cool as what could be made today with what we have. Yeah, imagine you put a cheap satellite into orbit. You don't have like a whole lot of really great advantages from it other than some, you know, surveillance that you get, but it's still way beyond anything anyone else has in that time period. Now you've got satellite communication. No matter where you are, you can talk to each other. 
And they don't have that. They got telephones where they have to, in order to call across the state, they have to go through a dozen exchanges and, and hand off and, and the sound quality is terrible and the call's not percent dropped and you just pick up this thing about the size of a, what we consider an old-fashioned walkie-talkie and you're talking across a continent. Clear as a bell. Bruce, you got night vision. Yeah. You know, you invade the enemy in the middle of the night, knock out their power, they can't see anything and you just roll right through them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is that you, know, you want to have superheroes and you want to have it with a justification without it being some kind of strange, where did it come from? Well, here's where it came from. You can actually have a superhero group going up against the Nazis, going up against Chicago gang members, going up against any group that you want to name. You can play on whatever side. You can be Japanese sneaking into the West Coast if you want to take it from the other side. It's still the same world. It's just that you've kind of abandoned the, the concept of Cthulhu or you put it on hold for a while while you're going and doing these other things, which are just as important because if your world gets destroyed through nuclear bombs or because the Nazis take over the world. Well, are you really any better off than if, if Cthulhu had come back and, and was eating everybody? I don't know. I think not, probably. Right. I didn't even consider that. I didn't even consider, you know, introducing Fringeworthy to the world and never leaving the world, just introducing mm -hmm. what they bring to it. Right. Well, that's why we're talking about the idea of bringing it in, using Fringeworthy to enhance your campaign versus saying, okay, we're going to abandon our current campaign and go off and now become Fringeworthy Explorers. Right. In this particular podcast, we're trying to focus on enhancing your existing campaign or allowing your campaign to change in desirable ways by the introduction of the Fringeworthy. Right. How many of your characters are going to be Fringeworthy? Unless you want to like just say, okay, of course everybody's playing a character as Fringeworthy because I'm going to introduce Fringeworthy and everybody can travel now. If you don't want to disrupt that whole feel, you set it up so that the fringe where they come in and change the world that you're in in some way, at least as far as your characters are concerned. But you're not playing fringe where you're still playing your other campaign. Exactly. And if you want to play fringe where that's great. I'm all for it. We could bring a crystal through and you could cobble together a group of people and bring them onto the fringe pass from that world coming from their mental standpoint, their gestalt of what the universe is like, and then seeing this whole different universe out there than what they expected. I mean, that's that's cool, too, because we mostly come from the standpoint of it's the near future. It's the world we know. You know, we don't come from the standpoint of, you know, you're in Call of Cthulhu, you're in D&D, &D, you're in cyberpunk, and you go through and you find all these other places that where the laws of physics are different or the cultures are different. It's really the same fish out of water. It would be certainly a change in pace, which is kind of the idea of the alien core in Fringeworthy, where you have people who are playing characters from other worlds, and the most important thing that they can bring into their characters is that outworldliness that is from their background. This could be really cool, having a Fringeworthy adventure from the standpoint of people who are not of our Earth. My group did a very long, very involved campaign uh, starting out in Cyberpunk. This will work for Shadowrun as well. And we basically – we weren't really worried about identity. It came into play, but we weren't really worried about identity at the time. We started the campaign out playing Cyberpunk characters and then found a portal and started traveling through the French paths. And I'm thinking that – you know, there are a lot of campaigns out there where people are already playing and they're thinking about moving to another campaign. Say, for example, you got a group of people who are playing Traveler. You know, they've been playing these characters for a while 
and they, they're just tired of the Traveler universe. For whatever reason, they want to move on to something else. They want to try Vampire. You could introduce Fringeworthy as the transport mechanism to get them from Traveler to Vampire. And then, you know, let's say uh, these Traveler characters find the Fringe portals and they start traveling it, and the world they go to is the, is the world of darkness, and they all get bit and turn into vampires or werewolves or, or whatever. That's all depends on what the game master wants to do. But the, the point of the matter is, is that you're playing in a campaign now and you want to play in a completely different campaign. You want to do something else. But you've got people who've been playing their character for a year or two years or ten years or however long. And they like their characters. And they're interested in switching over to another system, but they would like to keep a hold of their characters. They'd like to advance their characters in another direction. They'd like to do this other thing, but they wouldn't mind keeping their characters. And maybe even they don't know that. Maybe even talking about switching to another system altogether, and they're like, yeah, I'm kind of cool with that. You could approach them as a game master and say, okay, I can do that. How would you like to keep your characters? How would you like to continue playing this character in that genre? You know, I think you would find that a lot of players would be into that because they've spent a lot of time developing this character. And they're like, well, hey, I'd like the challenge of playing this character in a completely different genre. You know, you can use Fringeworthy as the, the linking mechanism to do that. Your subway car to get from here to there. And if you set in the future of the Fringeworthy timeline where they have good cryo suspension technology, then... We don't even have to worry about you being fringeworthy or not. We just go into the cryo tanks, bam, below 200 degrees Celsius. We pick you up. We carry you through the front portal, through the fringe path to the other world. We thaw you out there. We let you go. Okay, you know, welcome to your new life. Then the fringeworthy fade back and vanish. They've served their purpose. You don't even have to break the rules of the fringeworthy universe in order to do that. You could come up with some backstory as to why all the characters that everybody's playing are fringeworthy. I mean, you, you can come up with some reason why they came together. You can always make it happen so that the characters are all fringeworthy. But like you said, I mean, they could have been in cryo-freeze. Maybe um, they get in cryo-freeze and they're traveling through space and they wake up on another world. You know, the backstory behind that could be that that, that ship actually became a derelict ship. The fringeworthy travelers came out on some moon where that ship had crashed and... They brought these canisters because they could tell that these people were still alive. They brought these canisters to the next nearest world to thaw them out and see what was going on with them. That's how they got there. You can do it. You can use the Fringeworthy as whatever kind of MacGuffin you need in order to transform your adventure or do whatever you want to do. It's what we're saying. We want you to feel free to do that. We think it's a great idea. We hope you do. We would be thrilled to hear how you've used Fringeworthy in your campaign. Until you do it, we're just throwing out possibilities. There's a lot of great techniques that I'm sure you'd come up with during the execution of this process that we never even heard about. And we'd love to be able to showcase that on our podcast and give you credit for it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, just tritechgamers.com. If you want to check out the boards and then add what you've done with Fringeworthy to bring it to your campaign, by all means, let us know. Or if you see us at cons, let us know. We'd love to hear in person even better enthusiasm that this new addition to your game is brought to it. And if you want a really safe environment, run a demo at a convention. Well, we're playing Vampire, but 
we're starting you off on another world and you're this group of people that got shuttled through to the world through this thing and are all going to go on what? It's all in the backstory. Just read it. But you're now on the vampire world and then you can try it out. You can use conventions and demos at conventions as a means to play test some of these wilder ideas you might have so that you don't actually self-destruct your campaign by, go, you know, by going the wrong direction for your players. And, of course, if your players are a little bit too timid or too stuck in their ways to try something really radical that you want to play, then uh, con demos are also a great way of doing things that are totally outlandish. The, the adventure I ran at Dragon Con, a pulp adventure killing Nazis and it was an Indiana Jones type adventure but it was also fringeworthy and that was the whole backstory it, you don't have to get into a big fringeworthy adventure it can be another adventure with fringeworthy as the reason to do it you know as the backstory as Bruce was talking about with Call of Cthulhu Call of Cthulhu that game has been around for what now 20 years the particular game COC mm-hmm by most general standards, a role-playing game that has been around, whether it's the same incarnation or various incarnations, because there's a D20 version of Call of Cthulhu, a game that's been around for 20 years is considered venerable, like D&D. It's going on well over 30 years now. The game has stood the test of time. It has established itself as a classic. Bringing Frenchworthy in, you're adding a new facet to a gem. So you just want to see how that new facet is going to make that gem more valuable. We want to accentuate that we're not bad-mouthing established settings. Not at all. These, they are called established for a reason. They've been around. They've stood the test of time. The fringe-worthy, it, it's just a new direction. And as Blix said, if you have a, a part of it that just it's becoming where it's same old, same old. Best way to describe Fringeworthy would be a shot in the arm. You know, a, a kick, in the, kick in the pants to get it moving. And you can still maintain the flavor of your old campaign with just this new facet brought in of these people from a strange place, strange ideas. And now it gives you guys incentive to keep exploring this until now, unknown facet of your world, i.e. this warp or portal that's been brought in. If you're in a fantasy world and you've been to a new part, you just found a new part, or let's say you've explored all the known part of your world, well, all of a sudden you find a map where, hey, there's this hidden valley where we didn't know, and you come upon the portal. Or if you're in a cyberpunk, you're in the sewers, and all of a sudden there's a warp. Or if you're in, oh, post-apocalyptic, you find this portal that was buried in its, you know, part of some installation. And the, the predecessors to this civilization found the portal but couldn't investigate it in time because the apocalypse happened. And so it's to move the campaign in the same world in a new path. And my point was this could be added at any time in your campaign. As you said, as you explore new areas, you could run into these people. And it could be at the beginning, it could be at the middle, it could be at the end. I see this as an enhancement to your game to be put in by the GM whenever the GM thinks that it's valid and would be beneficial to his campaign. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun.
This is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.